Here we are in week 8 of the book of Hebrews. This book of the Bible has the highest Christology. It's a word that means the study of Messiah. The book places Messiah above everything, with the exception of the Father, of course. And with this high Christology, one can see why this would be a book that those who want to place something over you in the form of legalism or something like that wouldn't like this book much because it has such a high Christology. And we'll speak more about that later in the message. We have come to chapter 3, where the author is giving us an admonition in light of what he had to say about Messiah being higher than angels and being our merciful high priest. So I'm going to read the first six verses here. It says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Yeshua, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Yeshua has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what will be said in the future. But Messiah is faithful as a son. Over God's house, we are his house if we hold on to our courage and hope and the hope of what we boast. And so we begin with a therefore. Okay, so that tells us that he's saying this because of what he said previously. And this should be our response after hearing what he had to say previously. The author is telling us that Messiah took on our humanity... He tasted death for us and defeated the one who held power over death, thereby freeing us even from the fear of death. He told us previously that he made us brothers and his brother, making him our kinsman redeemer so that he could redeem us and make atonement for our transgressions, having been tempted Like us, in every way, he did all of these things so that he could be a merciful high priest. And so it's because of all of this that he says, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Yeshua, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. So here we are, back to the family theme again. As he says, holy brothers. In other words, set apart brothers. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to find out who wrote this letter and meet him. I know it's going to probably be a while, but like no other author in the scriptures, he reveals to us Messiah's true place in the plan that God has for the earth and lets us know that the love that we have for Yeshua as the son of God is not misplaced. You know, again, there are many people who are renouncing Yeshua saying that he was only a man, or that he wasn't deity. But comforting for us to know that the Bible tells us just the opposite. In this amazing letter to the Hebrews, it tells us that we're correct in our love for him. And we are right to fix our thoughts on Messiah Yeshua and him alone. Not only that, he tells us under no uncertain terms where we fit into this plan. Since Yeshua calls us, brothers. We're holy brothers. 
brothers of the master, set apart for the service of God. This is the only place in scripture where this term, holy brothers, is used. Granted, we see other terms like saints, or we're called brothers other places. But here, we get what we truly are. We're holy, set apart for the service of God, brothers in and with Yeshua the Messiah. And when you get the full impact of what he's saying, it should do something to you. It should drive you to your knees, making you rethink how we live, how we treat one another. You see, we should all be walking about with Messiah-like qualities. It should bring about this uh, the realization that while we are brothers and sisters in, of Messiah, Likewise, we are brothers and sisters of each other. And I know you can go a lot of places and they call you brother or sister, but I don't think that they really get the full impact. That means everyone who has called Yeshua Lord, or maybe they knew him by the name of Jesus, but they called on the Savior in sincerity and in humbleness of heart for forgiveness and salvation, are brothers in and with Messiah Yeshua, just like we are. So that means those harsh words you may have spoken of or to someone who loves Yeshua were spoken to a brother of Yeshua and your brother as well. If you treat someone ill, you've treated Yeshua's brother that way. The fact is, Yeshua makes it even clearer in a parable how good deeds you do for someone affect you. He says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And of those who do harm to his brothers, he says, he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So the point being, what I would not do to Yeshua, I should not do to you. You know, no wonder Yeshua said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And notice that he tells us something else. He says that we have a divine calling, a heavenly calling. What does he mean? Well, some people might take that to mean that he's talking about, well, some of us are apostles and prophets and pastors and so forth. But that's not the calling he's talking about. You see, we all do have a task within the calling, but the calling refers that he's referring to is that we've all been called into a life that's set apart for the service of God, a life that has been redeemed by Messiah Yeshua to conform us into his image. This calling is what makes us holy brothers, A calling to be like the master in every way. The exact image, if you will, of the master. This calling is referred to in nearly every one of the apostolic writings. Shaul reminds us of this calling over and over. And in the book of Romans, chapter 8, he says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his Son, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. You see, we've been called into the kingdom of God 
according to His purpose. We all have this calling. We all have salvation. We all have this calling to be like Messiah. To live life like Messiah and with Messiah. The calling is to conform to the image of Messiah. Just as Adam was originally created in the image of Messiah. We're called to be restored, reborn, resurrected. When we come up out of the waters of immersion, we're to be conformed into the likeness of Messiah Yeshua. We die to our former self. And when we come up out of the water, we're supposed to live a life like the Messiah Yeshua. Listen to what Peter says in light of this. He says in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which... Had not obtained mercy, but now obtain mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which shall behold the glory of God in the day of the visitation. This calling that we have been called to, we've been called out of the world. We become a royal priesthood, a holy people, brothers with Messiah. A priesthood in Messiah with Messiah, our high priest. We're called out of the world to receive a wonderful gift, this ability to conform once again into the likeness of Messiah Yeshua. The darkness you've been called out of is the moral depravity, the violence and the hatred that darkens the world today, that we see making the world ever darker. And the light is the love and the brotherhood that we all share in Messiah Yeshua. And that's why he says, fix your thoughts On Yeshua, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. I want you to notice that he says, fix your thoughts. The King James says, just says, consider. I don't like that. In the true sense of the word, we're to diligently look to Yeshua. And to Yeshua alone, we're to have our thoughts fixed on him. He tells us Yeshua is an apostle, which we should all understand by now. Many times we've taught on it. It means a sent one, a messenger. An apostle is one who's sent on a mission. Yeshua's mission is this. He is the high priest sent by God. Nowhere else in scripture is Yeshua referred to as an apostle. Only the writer of Hebrews. But when you understand that it means sent one, you begin to see why the writer calls him an apostle. And you begin to see it everywhere else in scripture. John chapter 17 says, As You sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. He says he sent his apostles into the world because God sent him as an apostle into the world. Again in the book of John, he says in verse chapter 20, verse 21, And Yeshua said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so while There are apostles sent by Yeshua. Yeshua is the apostle. 
the apostle who was sent by God. He was sent by God to be our high priest, made like us in every way, in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, thereby able to make atonement for our sins, for the sins of those who have been called out of darkness into this wonderful light. He is the high priest sent by God, and that high priest has now returned to God. And he's offering prayers for us as a mediator of a new covenant. Get this. Understand this. In this heavenly court on the throne of God is the Father and Yeshua. They're on the throne of God. And he's our high priest at the right hand of God. Nothing between them. Nothing between the Father. Just to his right, the Son. Well, if the Son is at his right hand, then guess what? He also has God's right ear, if I may be so bold as to give the Father human features. Yeshua is the one in the heavenly court on the heavenly throne who came so that he might relate to us, that we might have an advocate, and he has the ear of the Father. He's the one who can understand the difficulty of everything that we encounter in life, and he's sitting on the throne pleading in God's ear our case. How good is that? Well, Shaul tells us how good it is in Romans chapter 8. He says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Yeshua died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness? Danger? Sword? What can separate us? Paul is telling us that he is interceding for us and that nothing can separate us from him, from the love that Messiah has for us because he's our brother. Because he's on the throne and interceding for us, who can bring a charge against us? Who can come between the Father and the Son to bring a charge against us? No one. And so he, the author says next, who was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. And so he says, consider Yeshua who was faithful to the one who appointed him as Moses. And then he quotes a passage in Numbers chapter 12 which tells us why we have such security if we keep our eyes fixed on Yeshua. Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 says, This is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. And when I speak, when with him I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He was faithful in all God's house. And what happened to those who opposed Moses, challenged his authority? Well, they didn't fare too well. Not even Moses' brother and sister fared well. So faithful that God says, I speak to him face to face. And yet Moses, he never sat at the right hand of God. However, Yeshua sits at the right hand and he has the ear of God and nothing can separate you from this love he has for you. So who's going to bring accusation against you? No one. Just as he was faithful to God 
and proven himself to be faithful to the Father, to be faithful to his calling, even unto sacrificial redemption of his brothers. How much more should we keep our eyes fixed on him, our thoughts on him who's faithful to keep us from trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And we should add final judgment. Right? To those who hoard guns and food for the days ahead. That's okay for you if you want to do that. But I got my trust in somebody else. The one who was faithful to God. I don't need no guns. And I don't need to store up food. Because he's never going to let me see hunger. Amen? Yeshua sits at the right hand of God. And I want you to think of how important now. Remember, this is being written to the Hebrews in the first century. And I want you to think of how important a faithful high priest would have been to these Hebrews during the Second Temple period. This is written in a period of the Second Temple when there was no faithful high priest. The fact is, if we look to scriptures, they weren't even high priests at all. The high priests were corrupt. They were thieves and lived like kings. No doubt in part the reason said, you have made my father's house a den of thieves, a den of robbers. And if you doubt their corruptness, just read the account of Caiaphas trying Yeshua at night. So the Hebrews longed for a faithful high priest who could relate to them, who was faithful to his duty. So important is a high priest to these first century Jews, that the author is going to spend chapters 4 through 9 showing that Yeshua is this faithful high priest in the order of Melchizedek. A priestly order with no beginning and no end. He just appears in the story of Abraham saving his nephew Lot. Not only is a high priest, but he's also the king of Salem, who in the story is juxtaposed with the king of Sodom. Salem, a word meaning peaceful and is short for Jerusalem, God's eternal city. And Sodom, a word meaning burning, which was destroyed by God through fire. And here we're told that Yeshua is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's eternal and soon returning king of Jerusalem as well. And this will be one of the author's main points because Israel has been without a high priest for a long, long time. But before he gets to the high priest part of this, first he shows that Yeshua is even greater than Moses. And he does it so simply, right? He's shown that Yeshua was with the Father at creation. All things were created by and through Yeshua. That he redeemed us, that he made us brothers. And so he just says this of Yeshua, who has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. The term house here, remember we discussed this in previous weeks, takes on the meaning of more than just four walls. It means family. That's the meaning here. He started out with holy brothers. The author is playing on this word house. One of the commentaries that I'm using for the study says this. Here, God's house means the sphere of Moses' stewardship. The household, in this case, the whole family of Israel. The author is saying that while Moses was faithful in all the family of Israel, Yeshua is the builder of the family of Israel. 
He's not just a brother, but he's the brother by which every other brother enters the family. To include Moses, who, as the author said, is only part of the family. Yeshua said this to Peter, I tell you the truth. You that, excuse me, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my congregation, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here, congregation, the congregation that Yeshua is building is the family. Yeshua is building a family. He's not just a member of the family of God as Moses, who was a mere servant of God. Yeshua is the builder of the family of God, the son of God. And because of that, no one goes to the Father except through him, is what he said, right? Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. And you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua the Messiah. You see, through Yeshua, we are built into a spiritual family. As the writer of Hebrews says, and we have a heavenly calling. Our calling is not of this world. And that's why we have to keep our eyes fixed on Yeshua. As Shaul says in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Since then you have been raised with Messiah. Set your hearts on things above, where Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You see, as a holy priesthood with a heavenly calling, we should not be looking to this world, but we should have our mindset on Yeshua and things from above. Amen? Very specifically, we should have our mindset on our high priest, the Messiah, Yeshua. Just as in the temple, all the other priests did the bidding of the high priest. Amen? You know, you look at Yom Kippur, all the other priests are running around servicing this high priest who's really performing this amazing duty to atone. Remember, he's writing to Jewish followers. Of but let me give you an encouragement. If you're not Jewish, that's all right because you've been grafted into the family as well. We are his house. We are his family. That is, if we hold on, he says. He says, if you hold on. It says courage. Well, I want to look at that. It is unreservedness each, without concealment, without ambiguity or circumlocution, free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness. And then he says, meaning our joyful expectation of the kingdom that's coming and Messiah Yeshua's return, our king and our high priest. So what he's saying is, that the, to these folks, is that we should be... Out in the world, proclaiming without ambiguity or circumlocution, but straightforward, free, fearless speech, and with unreserved speech that Yeshua is Lord, high priest. He's soon returning to take his rightful throne, that he and he alone can make you part of the family of God. Well, I'll let you decide on how well. If we 
Skip down to verse 11. It's going to tell us a little bit more about this. What happens if we don't hold on to this confession? If we don't go out and speak unreservedly of Messiah Yeshua? He says in verse 11, So there on oath, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily so long today that none so that none of you may be hardened by sins. We have come to share in Messiah if we hold firmly till the end the confidence that we had. As has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did. You have to ask yourself, at least I've always had, I had to ask myself, How can people read this and turn away from the confidence that they had in the beginning? Not just turn away, but in some cases, turn away from this high but accurate view to doubt his deity, to doubt his messiahship at all. Back. I thought of Messiah at the beginning of my walk, the day I woke up free from my former life. I thought the Messiah Yeshua, who at the time, I thought his name was Jesus. Because in one night, he had done what I could not do, or no one else could do. I looked at the world through new eyes. The whole world seemed new. I thought I was in heaven already. And in a sense, I was. I walked around for days thinking how wonderful everything was. How new everything was. I was literally in another world. All this because of Jesus. And there was no man between us on that night. I was just standing in a field in a drunken stupor and cried out to Yeshua, to Jesus. In the darkness of the night, in a drunken stupor. I hadn't read the Bible. I didn't even know there was a Father. I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. I didn't. All I knew is that Jesus, as I slept, turned my life around and gave me freedom from addiction. You see, that is what we're... That is what we're to broke out ambigu- ambiguity. Without circumlocution, without the use of figures and comparisons, but with free, fearless confidence, with unreservedness in our speech, we proclaim Yeshua is Lord, and that if you accept Yeshua, if you cry out to the one who came into the world to be like you in every way, so that he could understand your failings and be your merciful high priest that would intercede on your behalf, you'll be saved. You'll wake up new. He'll free you from death. And yes, even the fear of death. All you have to do is cry out to him in prayer saying, Lord, I made such a mess in my life. I need you to go on. I need life and life abundantly with you. And if we take what the writer is telling us as truth, We should be shouting it from the rooftops. But I can tell you sadly, in looking at all the darkness creeps, news. But let me news. 
with Yeshua, we can be different. We can change. And even if we don't have to cry out to him again for salvation, as I did that night, we can cry out for a renewed, joyful expectation of the kingdom that is coming, over which Yeshua is king and high priest. A renewed and free and fearless confidence we can come up with. A cheerful courage and a boldness to proclaim the good news.